Authenticity. If you've been to a nonprofit marketing conference lately, you know it's important. But have you ever heard anyone actually define it or tell you how to be authentic? Well, we're going to do that today. We are going to break down the six principles for authentic fundraising. We're deconstructing authenticity next on the Dynamic Nonprofit Podcast. Let's go. And welcome back to the Dynamic Nonprofits Podcast. I am your host, Dan Saunders. And before we get started talking about the six principles for authentic fundraising today, I just want to say thank you. I was at the DMAW Data Strategy Forum a couple weeks ago in Washington, and uh, I, I couldn't believe the number of people that came up to me and said they were listening to the podcast and um, had just such nice things to say about it. And I'm so glad that you're listening. Um, I'm very thankful for that, and I'm glad that it's bringing you value. Value and hopefully starting some very interesting conversations. And uh, it's great to have you with us. And, and I do ask, if you are getting value out of the podcast, to head over to iTunes, uh, give us a five-star rating, write a quick review, and help others in the fundraising industry uh, discover the podcast and help join the conversation. Now, before we dive into the six principles of authentic fundraising that I've identified, I want to talk for just a second about why I feel authenticity is so critical at this very moment in the nonprofit space. And um, I'm sure you've been seeing the index reports like I have that show that donor retention is down across the industry, across a number of sectors, and this is now a multi-quarter trend. It's not an anomaly. In the beginning, people thought it might have uh, had to do with the government shutdown or changes in the economy or uh, changes in the tax law. I have long thought that there is something much bigger at work here, that it had to do with the quality of the relationships that charities have with their donors. And now we're starting to see some data emerge that really puts some numbers to that. And the first uh, white paper that I really saw kind of start to dive into this area uh, was a great report done by the RKD, RKD Group and Josh McQueen, which looked at donors who gave less in December 2018 versus December 2017. It actually surveyed them and it asked them why, and it asked them a bunch of questions. I'll link to the report in the show notes because I do think the entire thing is worth a good read. But the number that jumped off the page to me was 50% of donors who gave less this past December said they did so because they didn't feel connected enough to the cause of the organization. And that, to me, speaks right to the quality of the relationship. Now, um, we are seeing uh, a lot of this on the for-profit side, that consumers are moving away from um, establishment brands that are kind of seen as nameless and faceless corporations and moving towards these niche uh, startup uh, direct-to-consumer companies um, a lot of them are story-based, um, but they have a much more personal re relationship with their buyers. A great example is um, uh, how Harry's and Dollar Shave Club are now taking market share away from Gillette, which used to be the only game in town. And I think that is um, moving its way over into how people donate to charities, that if people have to decide between giving to a very broad charity or a very large charity or GoFundMe or um, there's now niche charities for very specific causes. So if you have a health condition that you identify with, um, there's probably a, a charity specifically dedicated to that. There's so many different types of cancer that uh, most people feel connected to a specific type. There's no need to donate um, to, to um, big cancer charities 
if you want to specifically help this one ailment that you identify with. So I think um, what we're seeing is a, a shift towards um, donors giving to um, causes that they more personally identify with. And um, part of that could be a long-term shift. Some of it could be irreversible. Um, I, there is a, a lot of research from uh, from Pew that shows that Americans as a whole are trusting large institutions less and less these days, uh, whether you're talking about the federal government or banks or even the public school system. So it could be just a shift away from large charities in general. Um, but I do think there are things that all nonprofits can do to at least stem part of this trend. And that's by using authenticity to develop more meaningful relationships with their donors, which I think ultimately will be more profitable. And now we're going to dig into the six principles which are going to help get you there. And the first principle is probably the most straightforward one. It's Honesty. Think about it. Any relationship that you have that has any meaning or significance, whether it's with your significant other, your best friend, a colleague or a client, if it's a quality, meaningful relationship, it's built on trust and honesty first and foremost. And this is especially true in the nonprofit sector. Um, somebody that voluntarily donates their money to an institution, there's an incredible amount of trust involved in that. And um, trust is very hard to win over in the first place. It's even harder, sometimes even impossible to win back if that trust is broken. So quite frankly, honesty just means be able to back up any claims that your organization makes, statistics that you use to demonstrate your impact, because if somebody ever has a question for you, you want to be able to answer it and be able to back up the claims that you're making. Because today, if you violate trust with one donor, that can easily become hundreds or thousands of donors because of the power of social media. So you always want to be able to back up your claims and make sure that your fundraising appeals and the information you're providing to your donors is based on honesty and it's based on claims that you can support. Now, you know number two is going to be important because that's Derek Jeter's number. And stick around for the end of the show because we're going to have more sports talk later on. But um, for now, our second principle is relatability. Now, I see relatability as the key to humanizing your re your relationship with your donors. And um, remember, at the top of the show, we talked about the connection that donors were feeling to organizations. And I think the difference is pretty monumental, the difference between a donor viewing your organization as kind of a nameless, faceless institution that's maybe a little bit bland or generic, um, whereas uh, something that they can actively relate to. And I think the ideal platform for increasing relatability is social media, because if you think about it, um, if your donor follows your organization on Facebook or Instagram, they're probably receiving hundreds of posts in between email appeals and direct mail appeals. So that's really the ideal um, format to be able to help humanize your relationship and create a more relatable experience. And the way that you want to do this on social media is you want to, as best as possible, replicate the relationship on social media that the donor has with their friends and family members. And um, sometimes that's going to mean posting outside of your mission. And that's okay, because I look at it this way. Um, 
think about the guy that you talk to at your office party who's uh, only talking about work. And then think about somebody that you talk to at an office party that's talking about their vacation that they're going on or their kids or things that are going on in their lives. It's a very different type of relationship, um, whereas the somebody that is always focused on, uh, on their mission. And that's how people are and that's how people connect with each other. So it's okay to be a little bit off brand or to uh, break the decorum that you think you're supposed to have on social media because by having these more um, organic human um, communications with your donors, um, it's going to fit in more seamlessly with what they're seeing from their friends and family, which means that it's more likely to get read. And the key to your social media content having an impact is that it's getting read and that it's going to be pushed out to your donors more often. And um, a couple ways that you can do this are um, the real low-hanging fruit is holidays. You should absolutely acknowledge holidays and not just Christmas and Thanksgiving or New Year's, but everything. Father's Day is coming up, so you absolutely should have a post wishing your donors a happy Father's Day and talking about the importance of fathers because it's not that it's related to your mission. It's just that that's what your donor's thinking of. And they see that and they say, hey, there's people behind these social media posts and they're thinking about Father's Day just like I am. And it just it just um, makes the relationship a little bit more tangible and a little bit more human. And you should do that for um, pretty much every holiday. Um it, it just makes your donors feel good, and it's going to give them a positive sentiment about your organization when you're not asking them for anything at all. Um, besides that, acknowledging things like sporting events. Um, the NBA Finals are going on right now, so if your organization's located in a city that's involved in, um, in, in the finals, uh, you absolutely shouldn't acknowledge that because these are things that your donors are thinking about right now, and it's just going to make them think about your organization in another light. Um, obviously, the Super Bowl, um, the great example of that is Oreo cookies uh, a few years ago uh, during the Super Bowl that was in the Superdome where they had that blackout. It was between the 49ers and the Ravens. Um, they had a great Twitter post about dunking Oreo cookies in the dark, and it, it just kind of tapped into that communal experience, and um, it was relevant. So, of course, it got uh, read and, and uh, got a lot of attention because people could relate to it right away because we were all thinking the same thing watching the Super Bowl and watching the power go out at, at the Superdome. Um, but also another component of this is is culture hacking, and this means um, writing social media content and posts to try to take advantage of pop culture trends. Um, a great example uh, that just happened is uh, James Holzhauer's run on Jeopardy. Uh, there was a lot of people watching Jeopardy that um, maybe normally were not regular viewers. It kind of became a national obsession over the course of a month. So um, I actually posted about this on my LinkedIn page during his run that if your organization could find a Jeopardy question that James answered that even remotely relates to your mission, you should be reposting that and hashtagging it with Jeopardy and James Holzhauer. And one, because again, people, it's on their minds. So they're going to see it. They're going to relate to it. They're going to think it's cool that you're acknowledging a communal experience that they're a part of as well. But also, um, it just increases the chances that your content is going to get passed on and seen by more people. And uh, culture hacking can be a great way 
to increase your exposure to people that might otherwise not see your social media content because they're not connected with your organization. But um, really, uh, just the key in, in being relatable is just trying to replicate a social media experience that um, that 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 your donors have with their friends and family and try to make that as much as possible the relationship that you have with your donors on social media. And uh, even if that includes sometimes going a little bit off brand to uh, maintain the connection. And we've come to our third principle for authentic fundraising. And number three is empathy. Now, quite simply, empathy means being able to view things from another person's perspective. And in your case, uh, you need to view things from your donor's perspective and take their feelings into account. And before we talked about social media, when we talked about relatability, but with empathy, I think empathy is ideal for uh, direct mail and your email appeals where you have a little bit more real estate and you can address some uh, donor concerns. And it's really important for your empathy to be in uh, those fundraising asks because you want to address friction head on, uh, reasons why your donor may not be able to give at that time. And you're not... Um, planting ideas in your donor's head and you're not giving them ideas, uh, you're not giving them ideas about why they wouldn't want to donate because we all do this, right? We all do this uh, pro and con list in our head when we're considering making a purchase or a transaction. So your donor's already doing these things. And what you do by displaying empathy and by addressing the friction head on is you get them to lower their walls a little bit because they see, oh, okay, they do understand that I'm a person that has a lot of things going on and they just don't expect me to give. And uh, I think it just will make them consider your ask a little bit differently than if they uh, feel that there's a sense of entitlement there, which, which could be a problem if you're not employing empathy. But a couple ways, uh, a couple um, a couple pieces of, of friction that are worth addressing in your um, fundraising appeals. Um, certainly, why your donation will make a difference, demonstrating the tangible impact that $25 will make, that low-dollar donations are needed, that they are appreciated. Uh, a lot of lower-dollar donors, um, when they're going through the process, they may feel like, uh, yeah, giving $25 makes me feel good, but it doesn't really make a difference. It's important to drive home and, and address that friction that, no, your $25 really is critical because it does make an impact in our work and the number of people that we're able to feed or the number of people uh, on the street that we're able to help. Um, another uh, piece of friction that um, is important, to, I think, to address is um, uh Distractions, and this could be economic distractions. So we saw some of this uh, after the financial crisis in 2008. Um, we saw organizations starting to acknowledge that times are tough, and uh, we realize that we're asking a lot, but we really need your help because um, there's more people now than ever that are depending on our services. Um, so if there is an economic downturn. I think it's okay to address those things. And again, just showing respect and empathy for the donor that you understand that times are tough, but um, you really need their support now more than ever. Um, and, and this also goes for um, cultural distractions as well. Um, and and I, I go in the direction of the current political climate and the distraction that that's causing both in terms of attention and also uh, finances. Um, 
you know, we're, we're seeing a record amount of grassroots fundraising right now on the Democratic side. And uh, we saw a record amount of fundraising during the 2018 cycle. And um, this is a, a, an element that hasn't been present in previous uh, presidential cycles. Um, historically, donating to candidates was uh, an older and more affluent activity. Now we're seeing candidates understand the importance and double down and really uh, trying to press for those 10 and 5 and sometimes even um, lower denomination donations, um, in part because uh, the Democratic candidates need to get a certain number of uh, low-dollar donors to qualify for the debates. Um, and I do think that that is pull- pulling out of the nonprofit pool, and that is um, consuming people's attention, and they are donating money that then they don't have to donate to nonprofits. And I think this is only going to get worse as we get into 2020, as uh, the election becomes the dominant news story every day. So um, if you're an organization that is going through a tough time right now with uh, acquisition, if you're a health-related charity or something that's not related to politics at all right now, um, it's a, I think it's okay to test some language in your mail piece that discusses the distractions and that you understand that donors may um, feel um, they may feel like the urgency of the election or the candidate that they want to support uh, commands their immediate attention, but that your mission is still going on and that your organization is there regardless of which way the political winds blow. And if there is a shortfall that you're not going to be able to meet your uh, programmatic activity that you budgeted for the year and just bring it home that um, your organization still matters and and still uh, and try to refocus the donor, because I do think there's a mentality when people go through um, what what they're going to support what's the most urgent thing and what really needs my cause. And maybe there is a little bit of um, assumption of, um, okay, this organization uh, that I was supporting is uh, well off. Um, It's okay if I skip my donation this month because I'm going to donate it to the candidate of my choice. And um, it's important to drive home that, um, no, your help is is still needed. We understand this thing's going on and it may not totally close that gap, but it may refocus the donor in a way that... um, that they'll remember that there are other causes not related to the election that uh, are important to them and that they want to make sure that they support. One more note about empathy. Think about it this way. Think about people that you know in your life and um, think about someone you know that is always talking about themselves and compare that to somebody that you know that's always asking you about your life and what's going on and your feelings and think about how you view those people differently. Now, think about an organization where somebody's donating their hard-earned money and the organization is always talking about their accomplishments and what they're doing and imagine how you can um, improve that relationship and change that relationship by flipping that script. But now we're on to our fourth principle, and that's accountability. And quite simply, accountability means if you um, make a mistake, uh, to acknowledge it right away, to accept responsibility, and to try to make it right. And uh, this could be if you're uh, hosting an event and something goes wrong at the event, um, or uh, donors are unhappy with food and you hear complaints, or there's a speaker that doesn't show up, or it's running late, or any number of things, um, simply reaching out to your donors, acknowledging it, not trying to sweep it under the rug, 
apologizing, that goes a long way because going back to the idea of humanizing our relationships with our donors, um, most people understand that mistakes do happen. And as long as it's not something where there was bad intent or uh, or neglect, um, I think people are willing to forgive and give a second chance. And not only is this the right thing to do, and not only will it make donors feel better about your organization, but it may be financially a good practice. And I have a couple examples to support that. Uh, the first uh, comes from the for-profit world. I have a friend that owns a hockey equipment company, and uh, one of the first years that he was in business, there was an issue with his manufacturer, and he had to email his buyers a couple weeks before Christmas to let them know that their shipments were not going to get there in time for the holidays. Now, um, he apologized profusely. He offered them the ability to cancel their orders. Not only did people not cancel, and not only were they not irate, they were ecstatic that a company was honest with them and let them know about the issue and was accepting responsibility and trying to make it right. So he received very few cancellations, and most of those people turned into repeat buyers. Now, if you want an example from the nonprofit world, um, I, I know of multiple instances where there were mistakes with mail pieces where the apology that went out afterwards actually outgrossed the uh, initial appeal. Uh, one was an issue with a DVD where the DVD company uh, burned the wrong movie onto um, the, the DVD premium and um, the organization fixed it. A couple weeks later, they sent out another appeal. Again, we're talking about a DVD appeal. So um, this is a very expensive mail piece and um, with an apology about the error and um, the apology mail piece outgrossed the original campaign. Um, there's other examples that I know of where mail pieces were sent out um, missing components. Uh, sometimes they were missing pages of the letter or there was a severe misprint and uh, the organization would send out a mail piece saying, hey, we sent you this letter. We're really sorry. There was an error at the printer. We apologize. Um, include a reply card in there. And again, the uh, apology um, would outperform what they had budgeted for that campaign. And it's because people are not used to companies or organizations taking responsibility for their error. And I think it really takes people back. And again, it lowers whatever wall that they had uh, that went up when they saw that error in the first place. Um, it just kind of re-endears the organization to that donor. And um, accountability could be a great way to shore up the relationship with your donors and ultimately uh, maybe even make those relationships more profitable if you do make a mistake and you apologize for it. And we've come to our fifth principle, and that principle is vulnerability. Now, I think vulnerability is an important part of being authentic because being authentic doesn't just mean being your true self. I think it also means being comfortable in your own skin, being confident, and being perceived that way by other people. And I think that um, nonprofit organizations sometimes feel like um, they are perceived as being almost uh, supermen by their, their donors, and they're afraid to make it look like they ever need help. I mean, how many stories have we ever – have we heard there where uh, boards or uh, executive directors um, don't want to ask for money in the mail piece because they don't want to make it look like they need money? But donors are not mind readers, and um, 
even though maybe some people inherently want to give to your cause, we're all busy people with lots of financial responsibilities and other causes that we support. And if the donor doesn't know that you need um, their help and that it's not clearly communicated, um, they very well may give that help elsewhere thinking that you're okay. And this is especially true if you're in a situation where you're facing a shortfall that could affect your programmatic activity. Uh, I mean, I'm aware of numerous examples of organizations that took a hit either because they lost a major donor or they had a grant that was cut, and they waited a very long time before going to their donors and specifically asking for help trying to cover the shortfall. And um, what they found out is uh, donors, especially high-dollar donors, are happy to help and those, especially those donors who are capable of helping and have resources, they just need to know that you need their help and you can't be afraid to ask for it. So um, if you're in a situation where um, you need uh, the donor support, and that's most organizations, right, um, you should feel comfortable and confident enough to, um, to, to display some vulnerability and um, to let the donor know that you need their help and it, it is badly needed, and um, without their help, you're not going to be able to have the impact that you want on the ground. And uh, I think donors really respect that, and they respond to that because they know that um, their donation is making a difference, and um, they respect that your organization is, is comfortable enough to ask for their help. And now we've come to our sixth principle, and last but certainly not least, is gratitude. And not only is gratitude not least, I think gratitude may be the most important principle in being authentic. And I think it may be the missing piece as to why nonprofits um, are do not have better relationships with their donors. And it may explain uh, a lot of the shortfall that we're seeing across the industry. And, and, and in fact, I think that there is a uh, a gratitude crisis in the nonprofit space. Now, that may sound a little extreme, but let me explain. Think about it this way. Um, imagine you have the, a friend who asks you for a ride to the airport, and you do it because uh, this person is your friend, and you take them to the airport, and um, you don't expect anything in return, but um, still, it's nice, right, if they at least say thank you or offer you money for gas. Well, you get to the airport, they get out of the car, and um, they go on their way. And you don't really think about it. Um, maybe they, they were in a rush. And you let it go once. But if it happens two times or three times, uh, eventually you're going to start to be resentful and feel like you're not appreciated and that you're going out for uh, your friend here and they're not appreciating um, what you're doing for them. And eventually, you're just going to stop doing it. And that's how gratitude works a number of levels. And um, when donors leave because they don't feel appreciated or they stop giving, uh, they usually will not send you a letter saying, I'm not donating anymore because I don't feel appreciated. They just stop doing it. And that's why gratitude is important to uh, make sure that you're instituting on an ongoing basis and that there's 
no chance that your donors do not feel appreciated um, because uh, gratitude's an important part of the relationships that we have with people and, and certainly with our organizations. Um, we, we enjoy doing favors. We enjoy doing good things, but we want to feel appreciated. And that especially is true when we're supporting a nonprofit. Yes, it feels good. Yes, we want to help. But people like that feeling of feeling like they're appreciated. So uh, where I suggest organizations start with to try to determine if they have a gratitude crisis is to do what I call a gratitude audit. And it's to look at all the lines of communication that go to your donor over the course of a month or over the course of several months. And I mean everything, mail pieces, email appeals, social media posts, and look at all of that and determine what percentage of your communications with your donors are strictly dedicated to saying thank you, strictly dedicated to gratitude, where you're not asking for anything in return. And usually that number is a little bit scary. And, and, and looking at this requires a little bit of humility because nobody wants to think that they don't appreciate their donors because I believe most nonprofits do appreciate their donors. I think we're just, as an industry, we're in a linear mindset. We're, we're thinking about this um, in terms of pre-digital when the only communications organizations had with their donors were their 12 annual mailings. And uh, they would send them a welcome package when they came on board. Maybe they send them a card around the holidays. Um, but otherwise, that's about it because direct mail is very expensive. And it's very expensive just to say send something to say thank you, right? So you're not necessarily in that mindset. But now we're in the era of real-time streaming information. So it's not enough to uh, simply say thank you once a year or certainly not just when your donor comes on board, right? Because your donor has real-time communication with your organization, especially if they're following you on social media. And that's where social media is a great tool for closing uh, any gratitude that any gratitude gap that may exist. And there's a number of creative ways to do this. Um, now, I don't think you could ever thank your donor enough, but if you don't want to be repetitive, um, there's several ways that you can do this and demonstrate gratitude. Um, probably one of the most underutilized ways is to make the donor the hero of your story. So how often do you see nonprofit organizations, they post about their accomplishments, um, their impact, um, and it may be very impressive, but they make it about the organization. And it's very easy to take that and to say, here are the number of people that our organization has fed over the course of the year. And this is all thanks to the generous support of our donors. We couldn't do it without you. Now, compare that to just saying our organization fed 10,000 people this year. One is celebrating yourself. One is celebrating your donor. And when you're talking about your accomplishments, and this you can't do enough, put it in terms of positions of we're doing this. But we're doing this because of you. The donor is the hero of the story. And people, they cannot get enough of that in terms of being recognized and being told that, hey, you're making these great things happen. It's not just us. Um, another way to do this is um, through um, birthday cards, which may sound silly, but just uh, it's a non-ask communication 
Um, just sending cards on the donor's birthday. Another creative idea that I've heard is anniversary cards, recognizing the anniversary that the donor became a donor to your organization and sending them a card. And again, we are talking about mail, so there's much more cost involved here than with social media, but um, it's relatively easy to test if you just take uh, a slice of your file and you send them an anniversary card and you don't send it to the other one and you compare them head to head and you see if there's a lift, you might be surprised that that added cost of whatever you're sending, um, it, whatever you're sending to them um, ends up creating uh, enough gratitude that it results in more giving. So um, these types of things are always important to test instead of committing to um, all at once. But um, especially when you're talking about mail, it's really easy to measure impact. Yeah, another another way to uh, demonstrate gratitude to your donors, uh, again, going back to social media, is um, giveaways. So, um, you know, if if you have a organization store and you were to post uh, once in a while saying, in recognition of our great donors, we want to uh, give away uh, five T-shirts to the first five people who... Um, who who share this who share this post and who uh, hashtag our organization, and um, you you don't want to make it look like you're necessarily spending money on giving away giveaways. So you can say thanks to the generous support of a donor and find somebody to sponsor the giveaway. That's fine as well. Now, in the bigger picture, you say, well, it's only five donors. Uh, you know, what does that matter if you're an organization that has a hundred thousand donors? It. It's the giveaway that matters. It'll obviously mean a lot to the person that gets the t-shirt or gets the hat, whatever it is you're giving away. But it's just the perception that you're thanking your donors and you're so gracious that you're taking time out from your social media activity um, to do something that's just giving something away to your donors as an expression of your gratitude, not asking anything for them. And, um, you know, I, I, I recommend not just doing a gratitude audit, but having a gratitude program and looking at all your channels of communication and figuring out um, what, how can you inject more gratitude into your communications um, and, and send communications that are just strictly meant to say thank you. Um, again, it may seem like, like overkill, but in this era where people are so busy and have such short attention spans where we're used to real-time streaming information, um, you can't really say thanks enough and you can't enforce that, uh, reinforce that gratitude enough because all of these good feelings and all the good sentiment that comes along with saying thank you, that's going to pay for itself and how that donor perceives your organization when it does come time to make a contribution. And those are my six principles for authentic fundraising. You know, this uh, has been a project which um, has come together over the course of of many years, actually. Uh, My fascination with authenticity probably started about a decade ago, and and I looked at it as a way for me to improve my personal and professional relationships and trying to observe behaviors in people who I thought had really strong uh, relationships with their peers and uh, really 
made a, a strong impression on people when they met them. And uh, that evolved into looking at authenticity being used in commercial advertising. I wrote a very short series of articles, which I'll link to in the show notes, um, about use of authenticity in advertising. And um, then just over time, started realizing that these things had applications for nonprofit fundraising and um, worked uh, to uh, put together this list of checkpoints that uh, organizations could use to um, to look at their content and their communications if it's lacking in authenticity and um, have a really practical way to uh, inject authenticity into their program. So I hope that you um, found it helpful and I really look forward to hearing feedback from the audience, um, what you thought about it and um, what your thoughts are on applying authenticity to your program. And now we've come to my favorite segment of the program, Work-Life Balance, where I give you a work tip and a life tip. And tonight's work tip is going to be a pretty simple one. Don't be afraid to look to the commercial sector for inspiration. There's a common um, expression in the nonprofit world that the consumer market is usually 10 years ahead of the nonprofit market, and it doesn't really need to be that way. Um, Sometimes it's just a matter of looking at trends that are happening um, in the for-profit world and just trying to draw out how that might be able to apply uh, for nonprofit fundraising. I did some of this uh, when I was looking at authenticity and looking at trends in um, uh, commercial use of authenticity and how that could be applied to fundraising. Uh, Some other things that have uh, crossed over from the commercial world, Uh, the nonprofit world has come to realize the importance of storytelling. Um, It's always been important for fundraising, but uh, now it's really seen as a point of emphasis and a way to connect with donors. Uh, Another thing is the uh, subscription culture, Um, looking at uh, these direct-to-consumer um, direct-to-consumer companies that are offering subscription services. Um, and and now the nonprofit world is realizing the importance of, um, of getting recurring donors, um, but also the fact that a new generation of donors may be open to being recurring donors, whereas in the past, uh, that, was, um, that was a tough climb to prospect for uh, recurring gifts. But now younger donors, based on their activity in the commercial marketplace, may be open to that. So um, take a look at what's happening um, in the commercial world, from big companies to small, scrappy, direct-to-consumer startups. Look at the trends that they're using, the techniques that they're using, and um, just think about ways that you can use that to test to connect better with your donors. And you may end up uh, ahead of the marketplace and well ahead of the curve before uh, the rest of the sector catches on. And our life tip isn't so much a tip as it is a statement, and that is sports are great. Now, it's not always easy being a sports fan. There could be a lot of heartbreak involved, unless, of course, you're a Patriots fan. They don't have anything to complain about. But for the rest of us, um, it can be a long, hard slog um, sticking with your team during some dark days. But if you do that and you're there when your team wins a championship, uh, there is nothing quite like it. And um, the city of St. Louis and all the great St. Louis Blues hockey fans found that out this week when they won their first Stanley Cup in franchise history, which has been 52 years. Uh, I can relate as a Ranger fan. Um, one of my favorite memories as a kid was uh, watching the Rangers win the Stanley Cup with my dad in 1994. That was the first time 
that the Rangers had won the Stanley Cup in 54 years. That was the first time my father had seen them win the Cup. Um, he hasn't seen it since. Um, you know, when you're a kid, you think these things are going to happen all the time, and then you get struck by reality. But still, um, nothing could replace the feeling of uh, watching the team win the championship and uh, the great parade that uh, we had in New York, a million and a half people came out for, and uh, I'm sure... Um, Hundreds of thousands of people will be flooding the streets of St. Louis to celebrate with the Blues. Um, but uh, the Blues story was, uh, it just shows how uh, great and rewarding sports can be and the kind of stories it can give you. Here you have a team that uh, was in last place uh, at the start of this year. Uh, they went on this remarkable run. Uh, Jordan Biddington, their goaltender, didn't even have a job at the start of the season. Um, he'd been kicking around the minor leagues. I believe he was drafted in 2011. Uh, this was really his. Um, this was his first professional season. He was a rookie. Um, ended up uh, being a hero and a Stanley Cup winner. Played a great Game Seven, and um, really just uh, an amazing story of, of perseverance. And um, can't imagine how great that is for the fans that stuck with that team. Um, when uh, things uh, looked like they weren't going to go so great um, at the start of this year. So uh, you, you never do know, and um, sports uh, are trivial trivial in the bigger picture, um, but really they are, uh, they're, they're, in some ways they're more important than ever because they are one of the last great communal experiences that we have. Uh, I can guarantee you, if you were on the streets of St. Louis the other night, Nobody cared who was a Republican and who was a Democrat and who voted for who because everybody was just sharing in the joy of this team championship. And um, that's one of those communal experiences that uh, only sports can bring. So um, when people talk about how do you get away from the stresses of life, um, I don't think there's anything quite like um, quite like sports. So congratulations to the city of St. Louis and to Blues fans everywhere. Enjoy it. You've earned it. And that's a wrap for episode number three of the Dynamic Nonprofits podcast. Uh, I really hope that you enjoyed our look at the six principles for um, authentic fundraising and that uh, you took away some advice that you'll be able to put to work. And hopefully we can start some really interesting discussions about the use of authenticity in fundraising. But I really appreciate you listening and I want to hear from you. So reach out to the show. You can email us uh, at dynamicnonprofits at gmail.com. You can connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, where I share content all the time about uh, things that are going on in the nonprofit world and my thoughts on fundraising practices. Um, I am Dan Saunders. You can connect with me on Twitter as well. My handle is at MKTG Saunders. That's at MKTG Saunders. And uh, I look forward to uh, connecting with you and speaking with you and uh, advancing uh, the great discussion about um, authenticity and nonprofit fundraising. But uh, that's it for today's show. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to speaking with you again soon. But until then, this is Dan Saunders saying goodnight from New Jersey, where the first baseball game was played in 1846. Go Yankees.